to our, our shame, we've not, we've not mentioned um, our, our boys who have um, been fighting all year long towards the state championship. But with that, let's make mention, man, congratulations, Josh and Caleb, for uh, a successful year in, foot, in football and taking the state championship. First time, supposedly since 74, but not, not a real one, a real playoff game. So congratulations, you guys. and, and um, I'd call Josh to come up here and give a state, make a statement or give a testimony, but I don't think he would come. <laughs> no. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, please? 1 John chapter 3. And it's kind of interesting because if you were to take, say, 10, 10 people and you you stood them side by side and you uh, just looked at them, you would, uh, you would likely not be able to tell just by their appearance which of them were Christians and which of them were, were not. Um, we come in many different flavors. This morning we heard a report from our Brazil team of their trip to Brazil, and we saw pictures of Brazilians, um, some of them with European backgrounds, but some of them uh, are, are not. And so it's a varied race, and they all look different, and they all speak different languages, and, and so, and they're Christians. They don't look like us, they don't talk like us, they don't, um, they're, they're different. So we can't really tell just by appearance. As a matter of fact, if you were for, for a short period of time observe these 10 people, if you were to take 10 people, if you were to observe them, say, for about a week in their daily life, in many instances, it would still be difficult to differentiate between the saints and the sinners, because even the lost uh, behave morally, and so the distinctions are not always clear. Now, if you were to place each of these 10 people in the life of the body of Christ, if they were to become a part of Calvary Baptist Church in their participation in our gatherings, um, it would perhaps be even more difficult to determine who was who if they learned the lingo, if they learned the behavior, uh, if they learned the disciplines of the church life. Uh, it might be difficult sometimes to determine who were followers of Christ and who were not. And this is exactly what took place within the church in John's day. And in fact, that is exactly what takes place even today. If you remember back in chapter 2, John wrote of those who had been a part of the gathering of the saints, um, but they eventually departed both from the church, the fellowship and the gathering of the church, as well as from the faith altogether. And he wrote there in chapter 2 and verse 19 of these who departed, those who apostatized, that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out in order that it might become plain that they all are not 
of us. So it seems, it seems that their departure caught the church by surprise. Uh, many, of, many of them, uh, it seems, in, the, in John's letter, it seems as though they were struggling with their own faith, or at least their, their, their own understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. If these truly looked like Christians, they act like Christians, they talked like Christians, but they were not really Christians, then how do we really know of our own faith? So it seems then that John's letter uh, was written with the intent of helping the church to distinguish the true believer, what the true believer from the world. And, and that's kind of the whole context of the book altogether. It, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem that it was John's intent to equip the church with an apostate meter so that you can look at different people and point your fingers and, and claim that they're not of the faith. But rather, it seems that he wrote this letter with the intent um, to be for personal assurance so that the Christian can live in confidence before the Lord. The Christian's assurance rests in the internal work of God. This is what John drives home throughout the letter. It, the Christian's assurance rests in the inter internal work of God that bears fruit in a life that is lived for Christ. Much, as, much like what you find in Ephesians 2.10, when he says in verses 8 and 9 that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then in verse number 10, he says, for you were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So you were saved apart from your works, but because of your salvation, there is good works. You were created for that good works, not to attain that good works, not to attain that salvation, but as a result of your salvation. So what I'd like to do this morning is I want to look a little more closely uh, in our passage of scripture this morning and begin to, to see uh, John's word of encouragement to the believer as to how we can know that we are of the truth. Would you read with me beginning, we are in 1 John chapter 3, read with me beginning in verse number 19. As a matter of fact, if you would just back up one verse to verse number 18, uh, John writes, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but let us love in deed and in truth. And we're going to come back again to that in just a minute. But the, our, our main text this morning begins in verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and in this knowledge we assure our hearts or our heart before him, before God. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, 
and that we love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the truth of your word that assures our heart of who you are, what you have come to do, and what you have accomplished in our behalf. We're thankful for your word and the ministry of your spirit to assure our hearts that in Christ we stand right before God, that in Christ we will persevere, not in the energies of our own flesh, but in the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ that is administered in our lives by your Spirit. Father, as we make our way through this short passage of Scripture, we, we trust you that you would use your word and that you would apply your word to our hearts to meet us right where we are, Lord, that you would address the issues of our hearts in the way that you desire. Father, transform us. Lord, we, we pray this every week. Our desire is that you would do a transforming work in us as we look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be more like him as we leave this morning. Teach us now, Lord, and be glorified in the response of our own hearts and of our own minds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to work through this passage of Scripture um, from the end to the beginning. So I, I want to actually begin in verse number 24. I know that, that in, in, John, in, in John's writing, as he's writing to his readers, that he had a, a reason for writing, writing in the order that he read. But for me, in my, my simple mind, it, it just makes more sense in my thinking, my way of thinking, to begin in, in the last part. And we'll, we'll, we'll take steps working on our way back to verse number 19. Um, because here in verse number 24, he says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So here we, we begin with the evidence that you are God's own, that you belong to God. Here's the evidence that John has given to us. And he says this on several occasions, but here he is describing uh, our, our relationship with our creator. Now, uh, we, we've spoken often in, in past weeks, past months, past years, of our union with Christ. But John is very specific. He is very clear here as he describes for us our union with God, our union with God the Father. Now, now I, I, think, I think sometimes we, we look at, at Scripture a little too quickly without pausing to, to ponder the truths that it bestows upon us, this revelation uh, of of God of 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 what of what our salvation in, entails, uh, the the apostle Peter, for example, when speaking of the life of the believer 
in his second letter in the first chapter, referred to the life of the believer as the divine nature. As the divine nature. Um, and this was brought about by the deliverance from the corruption that is in the world. So the, the, the Apostle Paul speaks of the Christian life as that of a new creation created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, being a Christian is much more than merely being a part of a certain sect of people who have aspirations of religiosity and holiness. Being, being a Christian, according to the Bible, is a work of regeneration in the very nature of who we are. In other words, Christianity is not what you do. Christianity is who you have been made to be. It is who you are. It results in what you do because of who you are, but Christianity is different from every other religion in the world because every other religion of the world focuses on man, but this points us to the spiritual work of God in fallen man to restore him into fellowship, or if you will, into union with himself. John reminded us at the first part of this chapter that God's love was placed upon us in such a way that he brought us into adoption, whereby we might be called children of God. That is not a figure of speech. That is a fixed truth. That you are born of God. Here, and throughout his letter, John speaks of our union with God. He speaks of the believers abiding in God and God abiding in us. Now, this probably calls to your mind other passages of Scripture. It, it did mine, at least. In, in, it, was in, it was regarding this very thing that Jesus prayed to his Father. Remember in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17? If you would, turn with me back there. I, I was going to read it to you, but I want you to read it with your own eyes. I want, you to, I want you to see it with the sense of your sight. I want you to hear it. Listen to Jesus' prayer on your behalf, verse 19. In, in the previous verse, he is... Uh, in verse number 20, he, he's, he speaks about you who will come to believe. If you know Jesus as your Savior here, he is interceding on your behalf. Verse 19 of John chapter 17, Jesus prays to God the Father, and he says, For their sake I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, that is, his disciples only, but, I also, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That would be the church. That would be those, who, those of us who have heard the word of God as was, 
as it was um, in scripture, in scripture, written in scripture on our behalf, so that we can read it. And we came to faith through the, the, the hearing of the gospel. Verse number, verse number twenty-one. This is what I pray: that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look in verse number 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one even as we are. And let me put this in, in, in context here, in case you have not already done so. I believe you have. But just in case you have not already done so, this is the creator of the universe speaking on your behalf that you would be one with him. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, that you loved them even as you have loved me. I, I wonder, I truly wonder if we have truly grasped the beauty and the awe of what it really means for we creatures of this earth to be united in such a way with our Creator. I would encourage you to meditate upon that throughout the week. Go to the scriptures and begin to look through the, ref the, the cross-references in your, your, your Bible and begin to read each of those passages that describes wh exactly what, has, what, was, what it was accomplished in your redemption. And I would encourage you to chew on that, internalize it, bring it back up, chew on that, internalize it, bring it back up, chew on it, internalize it, and stand in awe of what Christ has done for us. Now, here in your Bible, verse 24, we were back in 1 John, <clears throat> he tells us that the evidence of our union with God is that we keep his commandments. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a minute, this, 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 his commandments. Uh, we'll look at the specifics of what that entails. But I want you to notice here that, once again, John echoes Jesus' own words that he spoke shortly before his arrest and crucifixion. And again, I'm going to ask you, and I should have told you to keep your finger in John 17, to go to John chapter 14, please. Again, simply because I, I want you to see it with, with your eyes. I want you to read it and to hear it with the eyes, or with, uh, to see it with the eyes of your spirit and to hear it with your ears. Verse number 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, that's just what John wrote in 1 John chapter 3. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Now, the way that John writes it is that the evidence that you belong to God is that you keep his commandments. He's not saying keep your commandments so that you can belong to God. He's saying because you belong to God, the evidence will be that you will keep his commandments. You, you will, his commandments are not grievous, he'll later on say. But he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, Paracleto. It is one, a paraclete that comes alongside. He will be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth. Again, John echoes this throughout his letter. This is the spirit of truth. This is the Holy Spirit. We recognize as the Holy Spirit. He whom the world, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he dwells with you and he will be in you. That, that's one of the, that's one of the, the the unique things about the New Testament saint is that God's Holy Spirit comes and is made his abode within us. The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit moved from the best we could tell, moved upon his people and worked among them, but often departed and, and left. Here we are told that God would send his Holy Spirit. He would minister to our hearts and he would apply the work of redemption that was accomplished by Jesus Christ in the life of the believers. Look in verse number um, 21. Whoever has my commandments, we're still in John chapter 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, this is not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us, but not manifest yourself to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Again, don't read it too quickly here. Consider what you've just read. He speaks, first of all, that I will send the helper. I will send the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, and he will make his abode with you. He says, second of all, that, it, that I will come to you and I will manifest myself with you. I will make my abode with you. And third, he says, not only the spirit, not only, the, not only myself, but God the Father will come and make his dwelling within you. We see the whole, tri the whole, the whole triune God play in the life of the believer. This is the union we have with our creator, with our God. This is the new life that God has given to us. And the crazy thing is, when you begin to think about it, is how often we, like Israelites, want to go back to Egypt and live the old life and think that's where all the fun takes place. That's not the point of my, my message, but it's, it's interesting. But notice back in 1 John, and I, don't, I think we'll stay in 1 John for the rest of the time. So if you would turn back to 1 John, notice that, that this spirit of truth of which Jesus spoke is that same spirit that John speaks of. And notice his ministry in our hearts, back in verse number 24. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now, do you note that this is the same ministry of the Spirit John speaks of back in chapter 2, 
It bears witness to the truth because he is the spirit of truth. So the ministry of the spirit is that he affirms in our hearts that we are in God and God abides in us. The testimony of it, the evidence, the outward evidence is that we keep his commandments. Okay, so, so if we take nothing else away, take, 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 away, take this away from point number one, that salvation is a work of God. It is a work upon the heart of man. It is not our works. It is not what we have done. We have not contributed to our redemption. We are, we are, we are not the source of our salvation. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. All of salvation is of God. And he is not only the instigator or the foundation or the founder of our faith, he is the finisher. He is the one that is faithful to complete that. So the Christian life doesn't begin with Jesus, but carried out by you and me in order to keep it. The, the Christian life is that which Jesus has begun, a spiritual work within, and everything that works out of that life is by Jesus. It is his work in us. The Christian life is Christ in us. Again, that, that, that's a cliche because we say that often, but it is a reality, it is a fixed truth. That is how the Christian life is lived. Not by me trying harder, but by Christ living in me and we living by faith. And that's where we find ourselves in the next point. We back up a verse to verse number 23. Here's God's command for his own. Verse 23. Because in verse 24, um, we, 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 um, the, the evidence that we are in God and God in us is that we keep his commandments. Verse 23 tells us what the command is. God's command. Verse 23, this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. I think it's interesting to note here, uh, and, and only here in this verse, that John uses the singular form of the word commandment. And this is, the, this is his commandment. Verse 24, he uses the plural, the commandments. Here he says, this is the commandment, singular, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. It seems to indicate that the two things that are listed actually go hand in hand. The first leads to the second, and the second affirms the first. The first aspect of this command is that we believe in the name of God's son, Jesus Christ. Christ. Once again, if we are careless in reading this, we might understand it to be merely a creed that we affirm. I believe in Jesus. We would quote these different creeds about, I believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and so on. And we, we say, well, that's just fine. But it's more than just that. John is particular in the language that he uses when he states that we believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. In the name. And we use that term sometimes, right? We, 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 um, in, in our language, we, when speaking of someone's reputation, we would say something along the line of, well, he has really made a name for himself. We all understand what that means. 
that his whole reputation, his, his whole character is, 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 uh, has been developed. It, it's the entirety of who he is. And so in, in regards to Jesus, his name speaks of both his person and his work. And then note that John refers to him as God's son, indicating his deity, that he was begotten but not born, he, he is the eternal God. That Jesus is not just a, um, a created being that was sent on a mission to bring salvation. He is God who took on flesh. So God's son, John refers to him as God's son, Jesus. That name Jesus refers to his humanity, his incarnation. John refers to him as being God's son, Jesus Christ, or the Christ, which is the anointed one, the Messiah, sent forth by the Father to be the Savior of the world. And then to believe, that concept or that idea of believe or, or faith is to be brought, it means to be brought to faith by God's Spirit through his word in such a way that it affects the whole of life and leads to loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, if, if, you, if you are a child of God, if you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is such a faith that, uh, that, that affects the whole of your life. It affects everything about you. You are a new creation altogether. And the first impact that it has upon your life is that you love one another. That's the second aspect of this command, this singular command. The faith in Jesus Christ given you by the Spirit, in John's own words, in verse 14, says that you, were, you passed out of death into life, and in that new life, you've been given the capacity to love one another. Another. Notice with me in your Bibles to verses 16 through 18. We, we looked at this last week, but let's read it together. It, it, John says, by this we know love. Here's the, here's the example or the, the um, yeah, here's the pattern. By this we know love that Jesus laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And then verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's a rhetorical question that the that answer is, there, it can't. Verse 18, he explains, little children, let us not love in word or talk. He's not saying that you shouldn't express words of love. He's saying that's not where it ends. He said, rather, let us love in deed and in truth. Now, to love in truth means to love according to what is true. That's why God has given to us his spirit of truth. So we are to love based upon or according to what is true. It is a love that operates 
through the lens of Christ Jesus' love in laying down his life for us. Not just an example, but understanding the purpose for which he laid his life down, to deliver us from sin. So love is not toleration of sin. Love is understanding that Christ laid his life down to deliver from sin. So there's a, a true love that is based upon what is truth. It is a love that is established from within. It flows out from God's love abiding in us. In plain language, love is not a love that stems from merely from human affections. And we, we tend we, we, we tend to love based upon how we feel about someone. We talked about this last week, so I won't go into much detail, much more detail, but we tend to love others based upon how we feel about them or about how they make us feel about us. Oh, he makes me feel good, so I really love him. Right? Rather, it is a love that flows out of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, notice that although there are other scriptures that teach us to love our enemies and to love those in the world, John here hones in on our love for one another, for brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is because John's, John is conveying the distinct difference between the world and the child of God. And in so doing, he is assuring his readers of their standing before God. If these things are true of you, you can be assured that you have eternal life. Do you have a true faith in Jesus Christ? So let's back up to verse number 19. Here's the third point, and we'll conclude with this. Assurance for God's own. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth. Okay, so we shall know and we reassure our heart before him. When John makes a statement, by this, we shall know that we are of the truth, I think we have to ask the question of the text, by what shall we know that we are of the truth? Well, the, the, the text answers it in the context. The, con the, the text prior to it and the text that follows that we just talked about. What is it that reassures our hearts before God that we are of the truth? The answer is simply that we keep God's commands, faith in Christ that leads to love for our brethren, and I think this is the evidence that we abide in God and that he abides in us. This is the evidence that is brought about by the Holy Spirit who also affirms it in our hearts by God's word. The fact that God has brought us to a saving faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and that that faith compels us and equips us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the evidence that we are of the truth. And by this, we assure our heart before God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is, faith is. How do we come to faith? Jesus Christ. God's Spirit has brought us to that faith. That faith is the evidence that we belong to him. The, the true Christian is confident in at least two things. First of all, the Christian is confident that his salvation is of the Lord. 
that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Our assurance of salvation does not rest on the fact that we said a prayer. It does not rest upon the fact that we walked an aisle. It doesn't rest on the fact that we, that we started attending church or even started reading our Bibles and started praying or that we chose Jesus. Our, our assurance of salvation rests on the supernatural work of God's Spirit who awakened our hearts and opened the eyes of our spirit to see and to believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who gave us new life in him. Our assurance of salvation rests on the internal witness of the Holy Spirit and that we are in God and he in us. And this is not merely a subjective feeling that we conjure up in our minds. Rather, it is a spirit-endowed conviction of spiritual reality of new life in Christ. This is God's work in us. And, and the truth is, the, the, the Christian, we as Christians may not fully understand all that it entails, but the Christian knows that something has changed. His relationship with the Lord has changed altogether. The second confidence the Christian has is that his relationship with other Christians has changed. And this is where the inward change of redemption is fleshed out. If your new life in Christ does not affect your relationship with others who share that new life, then really, perhaps, you have not truly been made new. Your Christian life that is lived in the world is fueled by the new love you have for the brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a love that is grounded in the truth. It is a love that is exercised in righteousness. It is a love that is carried out because you have been made new. Our Brazilian, our team that we that was that we sent down to Brazil, gave testimony this morning of the of the wonderful fellowship and communion they had with brothers and sisters in Christ that did not even speak their language. Why? Because of the common bond of the Lord Jesus Christ who dwells within us. And John gives us two scenarios, and we're going to, I already said it, I'm going to say it again. We'll end with this. John gives us two scenarios that are common in the life of the believer in, in which God assures us in our faith. The first scenario is that when your heart condemns you, that's what he says here in verse number 20, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Notice he uses the word if, he uses the word when, not the word if, but when your heart condemns you. What does that mean, when? It means it's coming if it hasn't already. And why does your heart condemn you? Because you messed up, that's why. Because your love has been less than perfect. Because your life has been less than right, you're less than righteous. You have sinned, and their heart is condemning you. I think it's important for us to notice that, that um, notice here that, that um, it is your heart that condemns you, not the law. The law kills. The law should drive you to Christ. But your heart condemns you because of conviction of the heart. And it drives you simply to 
1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. That's the part that really caught my attention the first time I read that. He knows everything. What do you mean? Well, he knows even more than what I'm admitting. But he also knows the beginning and the end. And that's a reassuring to my heart. Remember Peter? Oh, boasting Peter? Oh, Lord, even if these rotten disciples forsake you, I will never forsake you. I'll lay my life down for you. A couple of hours later, he was shying away from this young woman, or young little girl, saying, aren't you with Jesus? And he cursed. And he said, I don't know this man. Three different times, remember? And he went out and he wept bitterly. And then he went with his other disciples and he hung out. He hung out. Then he heard that Jesus rose from the dead. And we don't know the mind of Peter. I like to think I do because he reminds me of me. Big mouth, big feet. One stuck in the other. But we do know that he was discouraged. He told the other disciples, I'm going to go fishing. Why? He was good at that. So he went fishing. And Jesus appeared on the beach after he rose from the dead, had fish cooking on the cooking when they came to shore, and he turned to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Again, Lord, you know I love you. Third time he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. I do love you. You know what Jesus did then? Jesus then restored him. And Peter said, it told Peter, in so many words, he said, Peter, know this, that you will persevere unto the end. I know the beginning and the end. He didn't say any of that words. It's a free translation. But he has assured Peter that his faith would be sure until the end. And Peter rejoiced in that. And so do we. We are assured by God because he knows the beginning and the end. And folks, I can tell you there's many times I'm, I'm thinking I am a... I am thankful that God knows the beginning and the end in my life. And because of Christ, because he did a spiritual work within me, he made me his own. He brought me to union with his own self. I can know with certainty that no matter what comes my way, God will sustain me and I will persevere to the end, not because of uh, my own strength of my own flesh and not because of my own willpower, but because of the faithfulness of my God. Second scenario, and then we really, honestly, for real, it's not just lying, we're done. If your heart does not condemn you, it is because your confidence is before God, and whatever you ask of him, you will receive of him, because he keeps, because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. In other words, our confidence before God is founded in our new life in Christ, fleshed out in our love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the evidence that you are a Christian. So are you? If not, you can today 
Turn to Christ right now and trust him. Would you do that? We are thankful, Lord, for your faithfulness in our lives because if it was dependent upon us and our faithfulness to hold on, we would be without hope. Thankful, Father, that what you have begun, you will complete. Help us, Lord, each and every day to rest in that truth. And in that truth, may we live lives that is consistent with our profession, that is consistent with who we have been made to be in Jesus Christ. Teach us ever, Lord, to set our sights upon you, to rest in you, to live by faith in you, in what you have done, and what you continue to do in our lives and through our lives. Oh, dear God, be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.